Welcome to another episode of Not Your Average Feminist, a podcast for feminists of the future. Today we are not your average feminists, but tomorrow we will be. I'm Christina. I'm Sarah. And I'm Amanda. Well, welcome to another episode of Not Your Average Feminist, guys. Today we have a treat for you. We have our guest, Jerry Ann Henry. She is a leading communications and messaging strategist focused on grassroots, digital, and traditional outreach and coalition building. She is the executive director of the Log Cabin Republicans. She also serves on the board and leadership teams of the Women's Professional Leadership Network and Virginia Young Republicans. Prior to her role, Jerry Ann also worked as a director of APCO Worldwide, where she represented clients from around the world on all kinds of major policy issues. She is from Texas, grew up in Dallas, was a homeschooler, and she attended Texas A&M University. Thanks for joining us, Jerry Ann. Thanks for having me. This is going to be super fun. Yes, welcome to the show. So glad you could be here. Yes. Yeah, thanks for having me. <laughs> And I should also mention, she is one of my best friends, so. Yay. And also, yay for homeschooling. (laughs) It always surprises people. Every time I do something like this and people are like, oh, you were homeschooled and seem a little bit surprised. Uh, Interesting. Mentally, I put like a little feather in my cap and I'm like, ah, they couldn't tell right off the bat. (laughs) You're like, success. You know, 10 years ago and you met me, you would be like, oh homeschooler (laughs) so it's so funny how like homeschoolers are so aware of that and I was only homeschooled for two years out of my whole like schooling experience but I still feel like can they tell can they tell (laughs) for you Amanda yes (laughs) (laughs) thanks (laughs) well that's a great segue to the first question which is just um, can you like give us a little bit of your backstory? Tell us about where you're sure. from, where you're raised, all that good stuff. So many things. So I, um, I'm from Texas, um, which I don't know about you guys. I think a couple, I know at least Sarah's from South Carolina and those are great States. That's a great state. I'm sure you're all from great States, but I think we all are aware that Texas is the greatest. <laughs> Since you're states. our guest, we'll let you have this one. <laughs> So I'm from Texas. Uh, I grew up in Dallas, um, spent a lot of time also down in South Texas. My family, um, we have a, a family ranch that we've had for a long time. Um, and uh, so I spent a lot of time out in, it was sort of this odd mix of rural America and then uh, a very different life in um, hyper North Dallas, uh, Highland Park, sort of a totally different look um, <laughs> and feel. Um, and I was homeschooled that whole entire time. My parents were very fundamentalist. We were uh, very, very, very conservative growing up. Uh, we didn't have a TV in our house most of the time that I was a child. And so to this day, most of my friends, every once in a while, will make a joke. And then I'll be the one quiet person that totally didn't get it. And they look at me and they're like, oh, you didn't ever see that movie, did you? And I'm like, no, I didn't. It was the whole part of my life I didn't know. Aww. And so, uh, uh, so they and my parents, they were great parents. They were, um, uh, they were careful about how they, how we handled things, but we weren't allowed to date. We weren't allowed to go out. I was homeschooled actually the first in my family all the way through my first day ever in a classroom was at Texas A&M University in chemistry 101, my freshman year. Oh my goodness. Um, Was that a total culture shock for you or? 
Well, yes and no. I mean, I was real ready to get there. Let's mm-hmm. just say that with all the grace yeah. to everybody that I, I was very, very excited <laughs> to be going to an actual place. And I thought I was ready. I had older siblings who'd gone tech, to Texas A&M. My mother went there. So it felt like a second home. But I had this really weird moment. I was sitting there and it's a huge auditorium classroom. This is like the big 300 person like weed out class. And I'd already maybe been a too much of a um, suck up student. I had um, <laughs> planned exactly where I wanted to sit, which was like three rows back, not in the front and center, but in the front off to the side. So I didn't look like I was trying too hard, but if I needed to ask a question, I could be seen. Um, so I'm not, I had not thought about it at all. Um, so I got there early and I had like my mechanical pencil and my notebook and all my stuff. And I sat down and I looked down the aisle and the row and everybody had a little desk over their lap. As I now realize one does in an auditorium setting, you have a little desk that slides mm-hmm. up. However, I did not know that because I had never been in a seat like that. <laughs> it was just like on your lap. And in this whole this whole process of like moving away from home, moving into my dorm, uh, my, like meeting my roommates, having my parents leave, none of that stressed me out. And then that one moment sitting there at before my 8 a.m. class and not figuring out why I didn't have a desk in my lap and everybody Aww. else did had Aww. a attack. Then I figured it out. It only I mean it took longer than I'd like to admit. <laughs> <laughs> and I. I, once I figured it out, I was like, oh, I totally got this. Yeah. Like, whole thing. That so. is so funny. So what did you study in college? Oh, that's fun, too. Um, <laughs> so I studied <laughs> animal science, actually. Oh, wow. Don't use in um, anything. <clears throat> well, maybe I used it in Washington, D.C., but um, my specialization was actually large animal reproduction. Wow. And we do have a cattle ranch. So I, I was um, threatened that any day I'm going to move back. Um, when politics mm-hmm. stress me out the most, I tell my wife, we're done. I'm just going to go make fat cows. Yeah. So, <laughs> so what, would you, would yeah, you say ahead. that that's like your backup plan is what did you want to be when you grew up? I want to take over the ranch. Yeah. Slash not want to will happen. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> so how did then, okay, then tell us fast forward a little bit. How did you get into politics? Well, I'd always been very involved in politics and a lot of it. I viewed it not as a career as much as a passion, so something I did on the side. So that's some of where, like, the animal science degree and ranching came in as my career goals. Mm -hmm. But being involved as a responsible citizen and involved in politics was something I felt like I needed, well, and that I've always done. Mm -hmm. So I didn't view it so much as a career but as a passion, um, almost like a ministry or something like that. So um, I was the weird student who at Texas A&M, I was in College of Agriculture. So I would take my, um, I won't go into detail for sake of your listeners, but I would take classes that did interesting things with animals that mm-hmm. left gross and pretty dirty and <laughs> run to the rec center on campus to shower with my, um, and put on a suit and then run over to main campus and go because I was also um, uh, chair of one of the committees in student government on our student senate and things like that. So I did both of these things. And when I was a senior, 
about to graduate, I was wondering, I always overthink things, so probably looking very lost and distraught, wandering around the uh, College of Agriculture and Life Sciences career fair, mm-hmm. looking at all the jobs. And um, my advisor just literally walked up to me, and I will believe what he actually said in okay. inversion, but he literally said, get the hell up over yourself, Henry, and slapped a piece of paper into my hands. And I looked down, and it said, like, it was for an internship in Washington, D.C. on agricultural policy. Oh. And I and Wow. So. That's so crazy. I, I didn't even know that. So that's how, so is that how you first came to D.C. then? That is how I first came to D.C. Wow. Well, that's that application, and I came here to D.C., and I worked as an intern for the National Association of State Departments of Agriculture. This was when, not the last farm bill, but the one before that, which ages me a little bit, but when the press, the, um, that was being debated. Um, and the uh, NASDA, that organization, represents all the different states' um, departments of ag, so it's a very grassroots focused organization. Um, And I did leave here for one year after that, because I realized I didn't have much of a comms background. Mm -hmm. And I worked in agricultural advertising, just for one year, and then came right back. So how about you walk us all through how you started to navigate your career in DC and how you ended up eventually landing this really sweet ED gig? Yes. Yeah. So, well, a couple things. I think one of the biggest things that that instilled in me, all the way going back to when I talked about my career at Texas A&M, I think that I have always known that I didn't fit into any of the. Um, I've all for actually for better, not for better or for worse, but actually for better. It's always like being a square peg in a round hole or something like that. Like I said, I was in student government but also worked in the College of Ag. But then I was in the College of Ag, but had to run off when everybody wanted to just go hang out in the barn and practice. And I'm not making fun of anybody, but this was a legit thing. People would just hang out and practice lassoing in my college. That's (laughs) amazing. (laughs) So Texas. I'm not making it up. It's real. (laughs) And be like, sorry, guys, I got to go put on a suit and go to student government. That's hilarious. Um, so I think I've always lived a little um, in my own world, and uh, it used to frustrate me more. I think I tried to fit in more and never did quite make it work exactly. And then the older I've gotten, have embraced more and more. It's not awkwardness, but it's making my own world that's not going to fit into anybody else's. So when I moved back um, here and really started a career in D.C., and one of my first jobs was working um, for the coal industry, Um, the clean coal campaign, which uh, ran concurrent to the 2008 presidential cycle. So we had a bus tour and um, people in a bunch of key um, election states um, uh, advocating on behalf of the coal industry. We finally got Sarah Palin one time to say, drill baby drill, but really let's mine baby mine, which I still feel like I should... I feel like I should put that on my resume. You totally should. Yeah. <laughs> we also love surveillance regardless. Um, but I, um, all those things were great. And I learned so much about the uh, political life and real campaigns and how to move, to borrow a um, consultant phrase, how to move the needle and actually change policy and change public opinion. But I also learned that... Um, 
you have two choices. You really fit into a norm or you make your own path. And I decided to make my own. And so fast forward a few years, having done that, um, I went and worked. Um, I worked with Ed Gillespie on a number of things. This is long before he ran for office. I worked with him on just consulting projects and stuff like that. Um, worked on uh, tech policy. And then it was 2011, at the same time that all that was happening, and this doesn't necessarily relate to my career, but at the same time all that was happening, I was figuring myself out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't, I came out in 2007 okay. is the first time that I actually, and we can go into this in a moment, but the first time I actually admitted to myself that I was gay and I cried over it and didn't want to admit it. And I tried to pretend like it wasn't real. I dated guys after that. And then 2011, I actually outed myself to the Romney campaign on a oh, list. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, and that was rough. Uh, well, no, actually, it wasn't. The campaign was nobody cared, and they were preoccupied with other things. But after that, I started really embracing the idea of. I thought I thought at that point that I'd gotten pretty good at communications and understanding how to relate to people and craft a message that related to people, and that a lot of that related to digital um, work, not because I was super good at tech or super, super snarky on social media, but because I understood how um, digital really related to people at a closer um, level than, um, than traditional media. And then uh, I ended up getting hired often to work on what I would call some of the more difficult issues for Republicans, mm-hmm. uh, women's issues, education, Latino outreach, and ultimately LGBT issues. So in 2015, I left my nice, steady, awesome um, job to go out on my own and took over as the um, campaign manager for Young Conservatives for the Freedom to Marry, which was uh, the entire conservative outreach for the actual Freedom to Marry campaign leading to the Obergefell decision. And part of that was a little bit of a gamble because we all had to agree when we joined that campaign. This was the actual, this was the group that ran and managed all like managed HRC, all the other groups, everything, and uh, uh, represented the the attorneys in the Bergefeld case, all that. And when we joined, we had to decide that we were fully and wholly committed to this mission of winning marriage. Mm-hmm. And if we won marriage, we would shut the organization down because we had to be that dedicated yeah. to that mission. And I've never in my entire life before or since worked on a campaign, even campaigns turn into other things. We literally archived every email that we sent, had to outline every contact that we had, wrote memos on every project that we did and shut the entire thing down after we won. It was amazing. Wow. You couldn't be a group of people. And I think that changed me a lot too, working with that sort of singular mission. Um, And so since then I've done that same work in a lot of places. I feel like that's so unique in, in politics or just in, in business to be able to to set out with a goal, but then actually like achieve it and then and wrap it up. And I your timeline is so inspiring to me because if I'm doing my math correctly, it took it was a four year journey for you to to come out. 
um, the closet. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I laugh because we were joking earlier. Christina is currently in the closet. <laughs> I know. I know. I, Christina, I'm here for you. <laughs> I'm here out of it, but I, I see Miss Coates behind you, so I think yes, she's, <laughs> she's in a shared shared closet. Yeah. <laughs> but um, four years for for you to go through your personal journey to feel comfortable going public with such a very personal, personal detail to everyone in your life. And then three years later, you're, you know, running point and you're championing this incredible initiative to have equal marriage rights. Yeah. And I think part of it is I, I think part of the reason it took me so long is because I did, and all of us who work in politics or anything like that, no, you don't necessarily, we don't necessarily get the prerogative, even if you're not famous or you're not a Twitter celebrity or anything like that, everybody's in everybody's business. So it was a little harder. I think it took my personal journey probably only took about two years, maybe three. And then there was a while where I dated no one and I knew, but I just didn't say anything um, because I was too scared. Um, and then I finally stopped being scared. Uh, and that's just because of what it means to be here. So once I finally got over all of that, I think I'd had to go through so much personal, um, so much in my personal life to assess my own self and figure out exactly where I was, that it wasn't hard to then say, okay, I believe in this enough. Let me stand up. Wow. Yeah, I was going to say, going from like 2011, what year did you work on the um, the marriage thing? 2015. So that basically four years. I mean, that seems like a lot of like space to like go through um, to get to that point. So I think that's actually really impressive. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Well, that's great. And there was the other piece of that is that you know, I said I didn't date anybody for a long time. It was in that period of time that I, my friends who, and Sarah, you, I don't know how long, I can't think back to when you and I first met exactly, but I think you probably met me in that 2000. I don't think you ever knew me before I'd come out. Correct. Yeah. And I have a whole swath of friends who never did. And all of them say that I'm a totally different person now than I was back then. Um, so I have that whole journey. And then, you know, in that time I met my now wife mm-hmm. and had, you know, that was transformative as well. And then standing on the Supreme Court steps, literally with her <clears throat> and the entire bank of photographers focused in watching us waiting for our reaction. And I think yeah. I got this message from inside the courthouse about three minutes before it was released uh-huh. that day. That's probably, I'll, I'll, I'll not choke up, but probably one of the greatest moments of my life. Yeah, for good reason. Yeah. And you know what? The, the best thing, most people get this, politics is personal because most people start yeah. tuning in and paying attention to politics once they find like their thing or some sort of mm-hmm. initiative is dropped and it changes their world and then they get mad or it's NIMBY kind of thing. But um, this is this is right up there with like textbook. I I just being activated. And I'm just curious to know, um, so you, you worked on this campaign, like as a consultant, um, as one of the leaders, what, what was it like? Um, cause I'm assuming you did a lot of the grassroots 
supportive? I do, I do grassroots supportive work, and my main role on all of this has always been as the conservative. And there's a couple pieces to that. Um, and since then, if I flash forward a little bit, because that was 2015, and we're now four years even past that. Um, mm -hmm. When I before I took this job um, with Log Cabin, I actually rolled my eyes once, and when Donna and I were talking, Donna's my wife, we were talking about it, and I was like, I am so tired so tired of having to be the gay Republican. Mm. Like, I believe yeah. I care about like 437 other things to constantly have to be the token gay Republican. And she said two things. She was like, well, one, do you trust anybody else to be the gay Republican? <laughs> <laughs> Arrogantly, no. <laughs> um, uh, and then she was like, but you do believe in it. And it is the thing. Yeah. Um, uh, and you are Republican, and there's a lot of Republicans, there's a lot of people in the LGBT community who have left the Republican Party, and there's a lot of um, uh, Republicans who have left. I wouldn't say that they've changed their, obviously they can't change their sexual identity, uh, sexual orientation or gender identity, but have sort of alienated themselves from the LGBT community. And so wearing the two hats of being, you know, I have one foot in the LGBT community where I have to represent Republicans mm -hmm. um, and hard, represent it hard and stand up. But then another piece is sit in all conservative and Republican communities and represent LGBTQ interests. And those two things, there's not, people ask me which one is the first one and which one comes over the other. There yeah. isn't that takes the precedence. They both are important and they both have to be done. Um, so, yeah. So when you are, when you're talking to um, the LGBTQ community, what kind of things do you tell them? Because I'm, I'm sure you get a ton of pushback on, you know, how can you be a Republican? Um, how can you be a conservative? Like what, what is the message that you think, not even just the GOP as a whole, but just like individual conservatives, like we can, like, how can we communicate to that yeah. community better? What do you tell them? And what should we be telling them? Things And please interject, because this could get long. So interject and oh, questions, because um, this is a, this is a really big deal. Mm -hmm. uh, number one, I think that there's this common conversation that takes place that it's harder now, nowadays, it doesn't, it, this is not from when I first came out, this is in the last, not even two years since Trump won the presidency, this is like in the last six to eight months. There's this whole steer, uh, uh, narrative about how it's harder to be a Republican um, who's gay. Mm -hmm. It's harder to be in the gay community as a Republican than it is to be uh, in the Republican community as a gay person. Okay. That may be true, but I find that there's a huge difference between trying to own everybody with your um, how gay and Republican you are and trying to point on either side. It doesn't matter which side you're coming at. I don't know. I have found great acceptance within the LGBT community. None of them have had any issues with anything that um, I've stood up for. I often remind them that. I mean, we do argue over policy. Yeah. Wittily. We agree on often very little of policy. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, I remind people that I'm not a conservative in spite of being gay. One of the reasons I'm a conservative is because I'm gay. Mm 
Okay. Uh, because I believe um, there's a difference between, because I believe in individual liberty, and I believe that those liberties um, are extended to all people, regardless of things like sexual orientation. <laughs> My father used to often talk to me about the difference between the word liberty and the word freedom. Mm-hmm. And it was always something he, it was almost a triggering point to him. If somebody talked about wanting more freedom or somebody talked about liberty, because they are two actual different things, even though many people use them as interchangeable words. Yeah. Freedom is something that is granted. Like I gave you guys the freedom to use the camera and mm-hmm. the microphone on my computer, but it was my camera and my, my microphone, but I granted you the freedom. Mm-hmm. Liberty is something that's inherent. Nobody grants it to you, you have it. So protecting liberty is something that the United States government is founded on, which means that the United States government isn't granting anybody anything. We're protecting what we assume each citizen already has. Whereas freedom, other countries that just have democracies that have been created to protect freedoms are granting those from governments that already had all, like already took all those things and then gave them back. And And so what kind of like reactions do you get when you break it down like that? Because I find that super compelling, but I don't know if everyone does. I'll be honest, I normally get applause. I'm trying to turn that into a cool (laughs) (laughs) But I normally then get a ton of frustration from most people in the LGBT community who ask, why don't you guys do that then? Yeah, fair question. We don't. Yeah. So do you view your role then as like, okay, so you get that feedback from the LGBTQ community. Do you like channel that then to like leaders in the GOP or to the party or like, is that, okay. So how does that, how does that work? Cause I could see that, you know, getting frustrating and getting old and like being the token gay Republican. Yeah. Like, I mean, I find that there's a whole group of people who will never listen to what I say. Okay. Mm-hmm. They've already decided they won't. It doesn't matter. I, if I give that kind of a compelling speech, mm-hmm. they may like it. They'll like it up to the point where I talk about the gay rights part, the mm-hmm. like liberty part. But that's the end of it. You know, I gave a speech at CPAC on the Second Amendment, and people loved that I was there to talk about the Second Amendment. They didn't like it when I started reading the stats about um, trans- violence against the transgender community. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that's how that works and i get that but so there's that group and that's Mm -hmm. not inherent to any that would be the same if i were trying to do this on the left Mm -hmm. Uh, like you're always going to have your groups that you don't necessarily sway but there's a whole group of people i find in the republican party and i'm going to slightly modify what i used to say when we were fighting for marriage um there's a ton of people who i think want to be more supportive and don't know how Mm-hmm. They don't want to have to abandon things that they think that they should believe. And if they constantly hear that a belief in religious liberty means you have to shun the entire gay community and marriage and the Equality Act and all these things, mm-hmm. then they don't want to compromise on what they believe. So they do that. Mm-hmm. If I can explain how those two things, like you're <clears throat> Pluralism. You can. You do not have to compromise one or the other. You can work together on these. Um, I find a lot of hope on the right, but always privately. People come to me and say, "I hear what you said, 
but I want to know how I can do that. But I, I can't say this out loud. Oh, well. How? And that's something where, like, I've got to make a, it's, I believe it's my mission to make a space for those people that not, and, and sometimes, by the way, when I say people come to me and say that, I mean actual elected officials. Okay. I, it's my job to make a space for them to be able to do that. But um, and, that was one thing I wanted you to break out because I, yeah. you, you have a really unique role in what you do, and because th- there are really two different groups of people we're talking about here. We're talking about like the leaders of the party or the elected leaders or the people that work for the different conferences and committees, and then you have the Republican base and all the different coalitions that make up our big tent. Right. Um, but also, I know that you're a very um, spiritual or religious person in and of yourself. And I know that we've had conversations about how, um, oh, particularly with the more, uh, fundamentalist religious, right. Mm-hmm. You have a lot of problems because it's hard for you to break through to be like, you can both love Jesus and attend church and be a good standing Christian mm-hmm. while also loving your gay neighbors. Right. And that's where I personally, and this, not all your, if brace yourself, I'm sure somebody will at all of you. Uh, for what I'm <laughs> we'll I'm get ready. Trolls. <laughs> Be prepared. Um, <laughs> uh, I tend to get, I, I'm, you're, I'm thankful you brought me on because I tend to draw a lot of um, feelings. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that I actually don't have any problem um, condoning or, or um, I think my faith, in fact, can I be mushy for two seconds? Of course. Okay. So um, the, that is actually how my wife and I decided to get married. We'd been talking about it for a while. And then I was on the phone with somebody I was close to who was really having a hard t- I'd only recently come out to this person and really having a hard time. They were having a, a hard time um, trying to go through all the, you're going to hell, you can't do this, da, 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 da. And I was getting too engrossed in that conversation. And then Dawn swept in and she was like, you're done with this and hung up the phone. And then I was crying on her shoulder and I stepped back and I said, you know, I believe that I was fearfully and wonderfully made. The way that I am. And I think you are fearfully and wonderfully made the way that you are. And I think God made both of us for each other. And we should probably go ahead and get married. <laughs> and, she's- and, and so I don't have any problem with my faith and my sexuality or anything like that. But I understand that there are people who do. And I do not ever want to take a position that makes those people feel like they don't have a voice or their, um, their faith where I think I I never want them to feel like I think they're bigoted because they're struggling with something that they think their faith taught. Like the Catholic church has not condoned homosexuality. So that's something that I know most of my Catholic brothers and sisters just can't ever until the, the Pope says it's okay. It's not something a lot of people can condone. They may be able to be friends with, but like I get all that. Like I, and I don't want anybody to be a bigot or be cast as a bigot because of that belief. Um, Sarah, what was your question? How do we work through this? Yeah. Oh, what, or, yeah. How, there, there are different challenges that come with the two groups, like the 
the elected officials, the leaders of the party, but then also the, the grassroots, the base. I think one of the biggest things is um, with the, the grassroots and the base, and especially the uh, our, my, the more evangelical or Christian base, is giving um, people the space to disagree without being cast as hateful or bigots, but struggling through their faith. But that doesn't mean condoning everything or agreeing with everything that somebody may say that you disagree with. It's okay to have disagreements or to fight through theological differences. We've done that for centuries and centuries and centuries, and we should continue it. That's the only way that we um, maintain a strong faith. Um, at the same time, uh, I think it's really important that a lot of people in the church start seeing more of their Christian brothers and sisters, like me, who are gay. Um, I find that to be a huge um, changing factor when people have somebody in their church sitting right down the pew from them. And they're like, oh, yeah, that's a totally normal couple, the kind of couple I want in my church. Turns out it's two women. but And I'm not sure I'm totally okay with that, but I like them more. I, I, I think they're good. <laughs> you know, like you start changing yeah. people. We actually had a campaign that only lived for like two months. It was on paper only. It never actually happened. But where we talked about uh, people in the pews and advocating that more gay people um, come out who gay people who were, who were Christians be more um, uh, uh, visible in their churches. Mm -hmm. It just didn't, it seemed a little disingenuous. So we didn't. Yeah. Actually, that reminds me um, since we're talking about it, I don't know if you guys saw uh, that mayor who's running for president, Peter, um, what's his I'm, last I'm name? I'm well aware of him. Buttigieg? Well, how do you say his last name? What you say it is, boot. he actually has t-shirts about this. Okay. You should know this. <laughs> I but, probably should. So it's, it's boot edge is the boot way. Edge? Boot edge? Boot edge. Okay, well. You say okay. t-shirts actually say boot, B-O-O-T, uh -huh. edge, edge, G-E. Uh-huh. D-G-E. So. <laughs> okay. Well, he was on, was he, was it The View? Yeah, I think it was The View just like a couple days ago. And he was talking about this and calling for like a return of the religious left. And um, that clip, I saw the clip was getting passed around a lot and getting retweeted and was going like semi-viral today, um, at least on my social media. And um it, it, I know, I totally understand why it resonates with a lot of people, but at the same time, part of my reaction was also like, I wish we could just ta stop talking about like this in terms of religious left versus religious right. Like that well, bugs me. I mean, and I don't, I don't know that there's any way to ever like move past that. That's probably like never going to happen. But I just know, like when I watched that clip, I was like, do we have to, like, can we just all like, have our individual face and be great and then like have our politics too and like whatever but i would I say know. as somebody who grew up in the religious right <clears throat> mm -hmm. that's a great thing to say now but we have like 30 years of there not being a religious left right yeah that's fair so but i wonder what like a religious left would look it's like cool it's a little weird to now say like can we not make it so partisan when we've actually made it partisan for mm -hmm. 30 years no that's totally fair and um, it comes from somebody on the right who is not just religious but like evangelical would you would you then maybe say that like and i'm just spitballing like um mm -hmm. but like 
maybe we should just get religion out of things more than trying to push political parties like or, or like I guess factions on either side to embrace some kind of like religious like let's be the religious left versus whatever I think there's it depends on what you like the words that you just used are Mm -hmm. hard to we're not good words by the way this is a very vague question I I don't think that I can ever (laughs) I can ever extract my um my political beliefs from my religious beliefs they're totally entwined they are my principles I just went through and ranted about liberty versus freedom clearly these are like hardcore principles of mine and those also relate like the reason i believe in liberty is because i believe that god granted those liberties these are not things i can mm-hmm. um and how do you the, but, I, but no, okay go ahead yeah. okay but there's a difference between an individual like me thinking that mm-hmm. and a ton of religious organizations building um lobbying arms okay that was going to be like my next question basically (laughs) there there is a whole piece of that there where you have to look at that a little bit um and yeah i i would prefer not to comment on and i don't think that i think we could do like three more podcasts on that but i think that there's a whole entire wing of this world that gets very far away from my passionate personal beliefs that I think are, have, uh, uh, are deeply rooted and I probably will not ever change from. I think, I think yeah. they're right. Um, and we can all argue about that all we want. But um, that versus a lobbying organization that best represents two or three pieces of that belief system but leaves 25 others to the side and then panders and over amplifies those three to make people more concerned about those three things yeah. to drive donations that's a whole, whole thing. yeah that's a whole other like issue uh, far beyond just religious organizations that's what tons of organizations do so mm-hmm. um so i'm going to do a little segue here um because i know we've been talking a lot about your role um and as a as the token gay Republican, um, but I, I do want to point out that you are making history um, in that log cabin Republicans was always headed by a man. So you are the first lesbian to come in and take the reins, and you are doing you are doing shop turning. Um, what was uh, I'm I'm just gonna call it out. I think it was a dying organization, and you are doing amazing things to turn it around and um, give it new life. So I, I'd love to know about what your plans are for the Log Cabin Republicans and some of your biggest challenges in the first couple of months as you've taken the helm. Yeah. So um, you're right. Uh, I won't disagree with anything that you said. Um, I think that. Uh, there's a couple things that I've noticed that are are huge. Um, I'll just say challenges, things that we have to that we have to deal with, and that is that um, we on the right try very hard to avoid identity politics. Um, but it isn't. It's one thing to say that. It's another thing to actually live that and realize that sometimes that means you have to work for some group that you don't have anything to do with. Mm -hmm. Um, 
So none of us want to be the group that says, I'm a, I identify as X, Y, and Z, so I most represent these five policies. That's how the left does it. But, you know, when we fought for marriage, and when I say we, I mean not just the right, right, left, everybody, all, everybody, all of us in the gay community asked people who were not gay to, to support us and to agree that love is love and we could all back something like marriage mm -hmm. uh, or it, and and that took whatever shade you needed it to take for whatever organization i found that in the um right of center gay community it's hard right now for a lot of people to step past that and see um you know why the fight we just had also reflects fights that other groups may have. Um, so in the transgender community, we do have trans members, but it's hard for people who are gay to understand how their fight relates to that fight. Um, I don't I don't understand what it's like to be trans. I'm not. But I do understand what it's like to be ostracized, misidentified, given a different set of criteria for things, etc. I understand that a little bit different than even a straight person would because I've lived through it and I am a little more triggered. I can sometimes see things happen and be like, oh, wait a minute, I've done this. I know what's happening here. It might be a little better an ally. Um, and that's like, for example, in the military. Now, Log Cabin has not yet taken a, a stance on the trans military ban, we will soon watch for it. Um, you heard it here first. That's right. But <laughs> the language that's used when people talk about why somebody who's transgender should not serve is almost identical to the language that was used when people talked about why gay people shouldn't serve. Or why <laughs> shouldn't serve. Mm -hmm. And I'm seeing the exact same thing. I've already been, I went through this as a female. I went through this as a, an, a member of the gay community, even though I've never served. Um, so I'm a little, even if I don't know all the answers, I can see this and be like, wait a minute, been there, done that. I hear what's happening. Let me fight a little harder and dig a little deeper. Um, and I think that's something that we all as an organization have to take a breath and realize we're in that role. We're not here just to be our identity group, but we're here to fight hard for the principles that originally brought us all together. And the principle is the important thing, not the identity. Curious to know, because I'm sure you're getting lots of hesitation from the Republican base on transgender um, issues, but I'm also curious what kind of, um, what's the reception you're getting within uh, the log cabin ranks? Are not necessarily like, I'm not talking like leadership, like uh, of your members. Is, yeah. is that a harder thing to get people to um, get behind? Um, yes, and, and ne not necessarily. What I think right now, and I don't think it's something I could say, it's just in luck heaven ranks or Republican ranks or even Democrat ranks. Um, my friends in the transgender community have been fighting this fight for a very, very long time. For a lot of us, who have not, I'll say, had the privilege of fighting with them, this can feel newer. 
So I think that we sometimes face a lot of groups who aren't trying to that that are that aren't necessarily opposed, but there's a huge uh, knowledge gap in groups where they're not trying to be um, transphobic, but they may not know all of um, what something. What is the difference between I, I? This is my least favorite headline. I get angry every time I see it and have to sometimes take a walk around the block around my office so I don't like lose it. But every time I see somebody say like, well, it would be just it's silly that if a guy just wants to change his name and grow his hair out, he can go to whatever bathroom he wants. That's not what being transgender means. Like people who transition spend years and years and years in therapy it's a huge massive thing it's the same thing applies to sports like nobody's going into um uh, some competition and just being like you know what i think i could do better at this competition if i could just compete against all the women because i'm a dude so let me just pretend like i'm a guy but not everybody knows I know. that i was like we went back and forth on this and um we should totally have you back for a completely separate episode on this because I think sure. it's fascinating. And this is one of the things that fascinate me right now. I'm like very tuned in to this specifically transgender when it comes to sports and women. Because yeah, and you should be. Because my, my opinions are still developing on this, but I have a ton of hesitation. So I'll just go ahead and say that. But yeah. you pointed out a you lot said- of you're developing opinions and you have hesitation that's a great place to be in that means like we should have strong discussions and i think one of the reasons that some of the hesitations and some of the issues happen is there's been a confined community that knew about these issues not issues that's the wrong way to say it there's a, a confined community who knew what it was like to be transgender and what that means it is now, it is only now becoming more mainstream. All public opinion, all the laws, all the rules have not totally been sussed out. So some will be wrong. We will have to have debate about some of the rules. And that's a good place to be. It took us 30 years to get to marriage. Please let's not spend 30 years getting to good policy <laughs> on transgender Americans. But it's okay for people to have questions and a person with questions isn't a bigot or transphobic but a person who says you're wrong also isn't hateful Mm -hmm. and that's where i think my job Mm -hmm. is so important to say like we can have a conversation we can close the door and sit down and say let's talk good I think this is a, another, um, you, you brought to our attention an article um, mm-hmm. that came out earlier this week. It was New York Times, I believe. I don't know if you have it in they front They reported of you. on it, yeah. They reported on it. Um, can you? I'm it's one. about a poll, a poll that came out a couple of days ago um, that showed there's a, a dip in approval amongst young, was it young Republicans specifically and their approval yeah. of um, same-sex marriage? Can, maybe we'll just throw it over to you to let you flush it out a little bit, but I know this is definitely something we wanted to cover with you. Yeah, so, um, uh, yeah, so the, um, uh, there's been a couple different p- polls out and I'll, I'll send you guys all the links if you want to awesome. put it in like the show notes. And yeah, stuff for like sure. 
people can link to it. But the poll covered a ton of different things down to state level, um, uh, some great stuff. Uh, there's a lot of meat in it. But one of the things that they found, and it's been one of the most reported on things, is that support for LGBTQ rights, mm -hmm. and note that this is LGBTQ rights broadly, but that does include marriage as one of those, has dropped from 74% to 63% among young Republicans. Okay. So back when we were fighting on marriage, we found that as long as we could talk, we found there were two leading polling indicators. Any state that had marriage, we saw an uptick in support for marriage which at the time was our main LGBT right that we were talking about. Like there's more now, but because um, we have many fights to fight, but that was at the time. Um, and then um, uh, when you broke down any demographic group, the younger you got, the more support you saw. So it is not great to see when you have these trend lines that have been uh, in place for a long time, it's not great to see um, one of those start to... Yeah. So when you see Republican, young Republicans support LGBT rights more than older Republicans and the younger you get, the more support you get uh, for LGBT rights, it is demoralized. It, it, it is not a good sign to see a drop off, not demoralizing. This what would you attribute it to, do you think? I think there's a couple different things. Um, yeah, may I be harsh? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So one, I think that you have, um, there is a drop off of people who identify as a young Republican. Mm -hmm. And that drop off is probably damaging to the Republican Party overall. Mm -hmm. um, the people who decided they could no longer identify as Republicans are probably the people that we needed to keep to win elections down the road. And we all yeah. think about that, figure out that that doesn't, again, have anything to do with any any one candidate, any one position. Mm -hmm. There's just a lot that we need to be aware of. We saw within Log Cabin, we saw um, after 2016, a drop off in membership mm -hmm. where we lost a huge chunk of people. And then we saw some uptick where we had people who were farther to the left who wanted to join just because they were tired of being um, put into a camp of people, like being forced to believe in things they didn't want to believe in. Gotcha. They wanted to be gay, probably lean far to the left of what most of us here on, well, I don't know where all of you guys are, but to the left of where I am. Yeah. Um, but um, just wanted a free space to have a slightly different opinion. And that's something we as Republicans should also recognize. Obviously, I'm all for building a stronger Republican Party, so I pay, pay attention to mm -hmm. these. But that is typically a slightly older generation that feels that way. Interesting. They lost just a among certain demographics, they're just gone. So if you had to pinpoint a, a, like two or three things that the Republican Party should, should start doing today, so that's your list. So, no, there's no. Um, maybe it is. I was gonna be like, whoa, okay, community. great. Let's what pass it on. Should they so do? basically uh, stop grandstanding on owning the list? <laughs> what? 
I didn't. Okay. <laughs> but I mean, that is the thing where kids look at it. I say kids because I now feel so old, but people look at it and they're like, what in the world? Like, I'm not trying to, I don't need to own that group of people. I just wanted to, it, it, it doesn't necessarily make sense. I know that you're, actually, Sarah, I will call you out on this. Um, wait yourself, but it's not as bad as you think. You know, you work in digital, you've worked in digital, I have too. And something that I know you and I have talked about many times before is the idea of making sure that our clients are using the right metrics to measure themselves. Yeah. So, you know, just because you got retweeted 437 times doesn't mean everybody liked your message. Mm -hmm. Or that it didn't do more damage. Or that it didn't do more damage. Right. So let's be clear that drawing a crowd with the wrong person or getting a ton of hype over one message about how much you hate one thing or somebody hated you or something like that doesn't necessarily mean you won people to your side. This is a game of addition, not subtraction. We should all fight for what we want to fight for, but do it in a way that other people want to join us, not shun us. I'm going to go one step further because, I mean, I've, I've worked for organizations that um, our goal was to figure out how to crack that millennial nugget. Now it's not even millennials anymore. It's more like uh, Gen Z, whatever we're calling them. Um, but no, I, my husband and I talk about this often. Um, obviously, with all this money from old people pouring into certain youth groups that are attracting lots of crowds of college age kids that walk around with signs and t-shirts that say socialism sucks, isn't working. Cause if you look at any of the polling numbers from any, any polls that talk about specific types of government, you, you're going to see a whole lot more uh, young people um, uh, sympathetic in, in wanting, clamoring for socialist governments. Hello, obviously socialism sucks as a marketing campaign is not working. No, yeah. Agreed. no, Agreed. yeah. And and trying to, you know, and, and the other thing is like we have so many, especially if you look at millennials and even the generation, like you said, I don't know what we call them now, Generation Z. That it makes me feel very old that we have generations. I know younger than me, but whatever it is, we have tons of gay Republicans. Most people in that age group don't even care. And it's great that most of that group also gets to, they, I do think this is going to sound a little different than what you said, Sarah, or what I just said, but I do think it's great that some of those younger generations get to call out their colleagues on the left because they've all grown up on the same, under the same um, social structure where nobody cares, like they're able to be out and it's a big deal for some of them to have people on the left pretend like they're shun them because they're um, uh, right of center. Like I will say, I was in California a couple weeks ago, and I spoke to some of my friends in some of the chap the log cabin chapters there in California, and they get some pretty legit hate when they go to Pride, like I bet. yeah, pulling down their booth peeing on their booth, um, oh. some pretty terrible stuff. And we need to call that out and that's a big deal. Yeah. So, uh, but there's a difference between that and I always try to keep a focus on 
standing by the principles for why we're all here. And this makes me sound, I guess, like an old grandma, but (laughs) there's a reason that I believe equality matters. Mm -hmm. It's because I'm a Republican and I think I have a better perspective on it because I'm gay. Yeah. Yeah. As someone who's, yeah. And I don't mean to be so harsh towards uh, younger listeners, especially anyone who's gone to conferences like this, because I used to go to conferences like yeah. this, and that was part of my political growth. So I don't mean to be like disparaging in any way. Um, it, it's just I'm 10 years removed from college. And so it sweet baby. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so I, I, it, it took me a while. And then the thing that I get more concerned with is I wish if I could go back in time and speed up my political growth ideological growth process Mm -hmm. like I I would hit the fast forward button so quickly because I just feel like it's it's a much better place for you to be in even if you're not an operative if you're just an activist if you're a voter that doesn't care to be an activist whatsoever just to be able to have those um, conversations with people because that's the problem on both sides Mm -hmm. we're too busy factioning off and not having open discussions where we are vulnerable ourselves in saying maybe an un, unpolished or unpopular statement, but being willing to evolve. Well, sir, I think you just hit kind of the nail on the head. This is about one of the things that I think is critical is we need to stop putting each other into us versus them camps. Because right now we live in a political world where everybody is not fighting for a principle. We're just fighting the other side. And that's where I said something about like just owning the libs Mm -hmm. isn't a winning strategy long term. It may make you feel good. It may even help a a campaign here and there. But that is not what's going to actually further a cause. So as long as you are only making yourself... um, somebody who can constantly i mean it's it's playground politics this is not the stuff of how like you further a cause this is the stuff of how you flush somebody what do you i didn't go to school what do you call it when you put somebody's head a whirly whirly? i don't know i hear about it i've read about it i don't know This is what homeschooling does to you. Oh. You're probably better off, trust me. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> like, that ever happened to me? I, oh, I don't know anyone that actually. Yeah. yeah. Don's a teacher. She tells me horror stories about what the kids do to each other. But it's best that we actually, and, and it is hard. Like, it's a temptation to fall into every day of, can we just do this one thing to be mean on Twitter? Yeah. Can we overtweet this person? Can we retweet them and call them out? And to be honest, yeah, they should be called out on Twitter. They should be retweeted. Like I've done it. We all should do it. Yeah. Called out. That's not, I'm not saying that shouldn't happen, but that shouldn't be all that happens. Mm -hmm. That is one tiny tactic. Yeah. That should fall under. And it's not, it's not like an end in and of itself. Or at least it shouldn't be. It means that has to be housed under actually fighting for a real honest to goodness cause. And if you don't believe in something, I can guarantee you millennials, generation X, generation Z, nobody's going to back you. If that's the thing we've learned about those generations, that's something we should all start reading up on then because 
people now believe they can do anything regardless of party regardless of upbringing regardless of any regardless of sexual identity sexual orientation orientation or gender identity mm-hmm. so are those together all the time <laughs> orientation and gender identity you can be anything that you want to be and we need to be fighting for the actual right principle mm-hmm. not um the quote on twitter yeah i couldn't agree with that more and saying as someone who's like guilty of like constantly trying to not constantly but like having gone after the retweets and the likes and like i mean we all do it but yeah it's it's a good reminder of like what do you what do we wake up every day fighting for and like why do we believe the stuff that we believe and what are our underlying principles not just individuals but like as a party and like where does this go from here and i feel like we could have you on for a whole nother hour to talk about like where do we go from here um as a party and just as activists or voters um or all of the above but um since we've been talking for over an hour i feel like we should let you go (laughs) um and say goodbye for for this time but i definitely would love to have you back on because i think there are so many so many um different conversations to have about this um this issue and just like your your continued work and and um in the movement and so um yeah this i i think this was a great conversation Good. Is there anything else, anything else before we go that you'd like to add? Well, maybe I think you segued right from that last conversation that we were having that could go much longer. If I could even offer to as an encouragement to all three of yeah. you, as well as to anybody listening. There are so many people out there, I think, right now who are desperate for a vision and a purpose and a mission. Mm-hmm. And if people who lean to the right can give them a purpose and a vision and show why we actually believe in the things that we believe, I think we would grow our ranks massively. But we haven't all done that. Mm-hmm. So if we could all <laughs> for the next three or four years, this again has nothing to do with the person. I don't care if it's your congressional candidate that you love or hate, whether they're Republican or Democrat, your president, whatever. But like, if we could get back to actually standing up on principle. We used to be the nerdy party that really was all about that. But if we could give people some purpose and something that they could stand behind, mm-hmm. I think a lot of people would. Yeah. And yeah. that's what we're trying to do at Log Cabin is give people that purpose and that mission to stand be- behind, especially mm-hmm. in the LGBTQ uh, community. And I think that there's a lot more Republicans out there who would join with us in that. So, um, I, so. I, I would ask that you guys join with me in that and, um, I, I, and all your listeners as well. Yes. Awesome. Hey, Jerry Ann, what is your Twitter handle and what is the best way to check out Log Cabin Republicans? The best way to check out Log Cabin Republicans is actually, um, on our website, which is logcabin.org, uh, okay. spelled exactly the way it sounds. Um, that's how we did it when I was homeschooled, just sounds like spelled like it sounds um, <laughs> and then i am at jerry and henry and i will spell it because it's all kinds of weird it's j-e-r-r-i-a-n-n-h-e-n-r-y nice so um, we'll also put it in show notes so thank you i appreciate that yeah. awesome. all right well um on that note uh 
thanks again for being here. I, this was a lovely conversation. So I'm so glad we had you. And we're definitely going to have you back um, as long as you agree. Absolutely. And, um, uh, and for everyone listening, thanks again for joining us on this episode. And please don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify. And leave us a nice review. We will love you forever. Um, and also feel free to drop us a line at hello at nyafpod.com. We promise to reply. Um, it will probably be pictures of Christina's cat. And then we will send you our serious response. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Well, until next time, thank you again so much for being on. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Here. Thanks, all right. Bye-bye.